Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. Today's podcast, we are talking to Caroline, the CEO and founder of Zine. But before that, hello, Jack. Hello, Dave. How are you? Very well. Still buzzing off of last week. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, for a minute, I was like, oh, yeah, hang on. That oh, yeah. Was, that was last week. We had an event. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to talk about something that happened over the weekend and happened to you last night. We watched the coolest software engineer <laughs> yeah. portrayal on TV. I had never seen a portrayal of a software engineer in better light. Uh, in case you're wondering what we're going on about, I sat through all eight episodes back to back of Russian Doll on Netflix at the weekend and you... I did it in two sittings. So I did four Sunday, four last night, which was Monday because it's Tuesday today. So yeah. Wicked show. Oh, I mean, I love anything that is going to sort of... I don't know, it's kind of like time loopy, Groundhog Day. Definitely Groundhog yeah, Day. Yeah, very, looks at morality a lot, looks at like the idea of limbo a lot, which I always love. Like I love the idea of purgatory in film and TV, but outside of that, it has just two or three of the finest characters you will ever see in a series. Like her, the main character in it is brilliant. Uh, you've got Alan, who's an incredible bloke in it as well. And I, my favourite character though was her sort of mother figure in it. The, the, the not, yeah, the surrogate mother. The surrogate mother, yeah, yeah. I mean, we won't give too much away, but she's a really good character. It's just brilliant. I loved how it very effortlessly, and this isn't a spoiler, it shifts mid-series from screwballish black comedy, yep. very black, yep. to um, actually quite a deep morality tale. Yeah. So the way I was describing someone is like it's a classic series, a classic amazing series. In that first two episodes, you're like, "What the hell's going on? This is incredible." Plateaus a bit, positively plateaus a bit to establish mm, more I characters. Use Maybe yeah. just. And yeah, even that has negative connotations, but it, it, you know, in any series, the middle point is always gets a bit boring, but this doesn't. But it, it ambles along nicely, and then last two episodes, bloody hell. Ah, oh, I mean, I don't, I can't remember the last time we've been since the dog program, we've been this heavily yeah. in agreement on a, on a TV show. Well, look, our recommendation to you all mm. uh, is to watch Russian Doll. It mm. was released on Netflix, I think, on the 1st of Feb, so it's brand new. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's relevant to Tech Talks because it's all about a software engineer. And look, if you like us, you won't be offended by the language in Russian Doll as well because there's a lot of swearing in it. Uh, She's great. Yeah, What's her character we, in it? We don't so, go to that level. No, we don't say the C word. Yeah, repetitively. Yeah. What was her, What's the character's name? It's awful. I can't even remember it. Nadia. Yeah. Nadia. Oh, brilliant. On today's show, we are talking about influencer marketing. It's an interview with Zine founder, uh, and CEO Caroline. Uh, so that's coming up first. Stick with us. We're going to be chatting about that in the second half of the show. As per usual, myself and Jack have a couple of articles to share. So this morning we're chatting with Caroline. Caroline, you're the founder of Zine. A fairly young business? Um, yes, we started about three years ago. How many people are there? We're 15 now. Okay, so you are founder and CEO. Yes. Because you're growing that business pretty hands-on, I'd imagine, at that stage. Yes, I think like every startup, you have to, you know, you have to do everything, everything it takes to get it off the ground. So, what is the business? 
we have an influencer marketing platform which uh, provides a database of influencers to brands that they can browse based on certain audience metrics. And our second part of the platform is a campaign management tool which helps them go through the whole process of reaching out to influencers, negotiating with them, um, confirming them for a campaign, um, reviewing the content and then also looking at the post campaign analytics in terms of how well the post has performed. Up to this point, which which has been the the primary focus of your of your time? Um, at the very beginning, obviously, and with every marketplace, you have the chicken and the egg problem. Yeah, yeah. You, the main focus was, was getting more influencers and building up that database. And once we had this database, um, we then focused more on the processes around it and uh, mm. mostly problem solving. Because there's a lot of things that you wouldn't think about um, when you look at um, influencer marketing or, or executing a campaign, which is just the sheer volume of conversations you have with influencers, how to have everything in one place, how to make every step very easy for both sides and kind of like streamline the whole process. So I think at the beginning we focused very much on getting the database and getting all the data from the influencers and getting quality influencers on the database. And now we're focusing a lot around you know, bringing solutions to every problem a brand might have when executing campaigns either in-house or by an agency. In terms of the businesses that are interested then in the platform and the portfolio of influencers that you've got, it might be a really naive assumption to make that you'd imagine it's kind of around travel and lifestyle. So you'd imagine kind of fitness, nutrition, yeah. traveling, maybe fashion. It would be those kind of brands interested. Is that wrong? Is it actually broader than that in, in terms of the, the level of interest? Um, I think, yeah. Like, I mean, there's there, everyone at the moment is such a, you know, hype around it over the last couple of years that every every brand kind of like looks at looks at it as a way of marketing, a new way of marketing. Um, I think it's very representative, like our database is very representative of the industry, so the biggest categories are still fashion and lifestyle, yeah. travel and food. But then there are niche categories like parenting, which are very popular as well. Right, okay. Um, you have gaming, obviously. There's people looking for finance influencers or financial advice, um, which is a bit of a tricky thing with regulation, I think. Um, down to DIY and, and home decor and everything. So, yeah, there's. So, it's certainly diversifying and going into different yeah. areas that you wouldn't necessarily assume off the top of your head. Yeah, absolutely. Now, you've got a portfolio of, of, of influencers. Yes. Kind of begs the question what an influencer is. Right, because there's a lot of people online who are self-proclaimed influencers now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, more, yeah, a lot. Um, so for us, it's very simple. We just say anyone with a following greater than thousand, thousand five hundred um, people on any channel would be considered as an influencer. On any channel? I mean, there's not certain channels where you kind of think actually the threshold has to be a little bit higher because of the way this channel works, or. Um, no, we, because well, I mean I think it's convenience. We keep it relatively simple mm. in that sense. We have clients who ask us for smaller influencers, even they say like below thousand, um, which they think are more genuine, more authentic, and, and have a higher engagement usually on their um, on their content. Um, but for us, it's yeah across any channel, we just treat it that way. And which channels have been the most successful in terms of the campaigns that you've run so far? Can you can you share that? Um, I'd it, imagine Instagram. Not the most, but. Yeah, Instagram is just the most requested channel of all of them. So we invested a lot um, in particular to kind of like develop that channel and give more options around it, more analytics around yeah. Instagram in particular, just because it's so popular. Um, I think uh, YouTube is also very popular for, right, for yeah, other yeah, brands, course. depending on what kind of like product or service you have. Different channels lend themselves better to to your marketing promotions. So. Um, 
Instagram, obviously, for fashion um, and lifestyle is perfect. I suppose it's, 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 it's the interesting point would be, are there any channels that you see emerging that people don't immediately think of? Or is it still very much that those, those main channels are the ones that... I think um, Pinterest is very up and coming. Right. So there's a big talk already. Like everyone, they, they, they made a huge turnaround. They changed a lot in their platform to allow brands to market via Pinterest mm. um, a lot better. It's, it's huge for bridal. I know um, some brands, like some bridal brands, who say like they get so much traffic from Pinterest. That because doesn't surprise me thinking back to my own wedding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think every bride, the first thing they do is they go onto Pinterest and create a mood board in yeah. terms of like, you know, flower arrangements and dresses and everything. And for that, Pinterest is great. It's like a, um, it's like visual bookmarks, right, on, on things. You can create stuff like that very easily. And, and naturally, for brands to have their products on Pinterest will help them get discovered. So I think Pinterest is a huge area that will be seen more and more in the next few years. I, you, I have read one or two comments online of people kind of bemoaning the fact that Instagram is becoming almost like kind of an, an online QVC. So I suppose the challenge for influencers and brands alike is to keep the message feeling like it's it's, it's genuine and part of the narrative and not something that suddenly kind of pulls you out of the regular experience that you have on any one of those channels. I mean, I think I think Instagram is like just talking from my my own kind of like experience on my Instagram feed. They're really, really good at pushing the right content to you and the right ads mm. that are relevant to you um, based on your following. I think it, it flows very naturally. You can't often not see whether it is an advertisement or if it's something from someone you follow, especially follow a lot of influencers. Mm. Um, it, it was bound to help, obviously. You, you would always, like, same as with Facebook, Instagram had to have some advertisement on their feed at some point. Um, it is becoming, yeah, it is becoming a QVC. It's becoming a, a bit of a shopping channel, but I think a lot of, especially, you know, female users don't necessarily mind that. It's becoming a, a discovery tool. And if you're interested in fashion, if you're interested in kind of discovering fashion through Instagram, you will automatically follow certain channels that indicate that to Instagram. Yeah. So if you have a um, Instagram account and you only follow your closest friends and you don't follow any influencers or, or brands or something like that, it you'd be it'd be much more difficult to target you for Instagram itself because they don't know your interests so well. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, as soon as you step outside that, you open yourself up to more advertising and to, to, to more discovery. I think it's like down to everyone how they want to use it mm. and um, how they engage with the content as well. So as we're talking about influencer marketing, I think it would be bizarre not to talk about FIRE. Yes. The documentary, I think it was only released on Netflix about two weeks ago. And yeah. the amount of discussion that it's generated online is oh, been fascinating. The amount of in particular, which are, <laughs> which are fantastic. They've made my day a few days these last two weeks. Um, I suppose it's highlighted influencer marketing. Yeah. And that could, be, that could be a positive thing, right? Because something like this where it challenges the norm ushers in regulation yeah. that can probably actually help the industry no, so that that would be an interesting angle but also um i know before we hit record you were talking as well about the fact that fire the documentary highlighted that they were using as a, a social as a metric for investment so i suppose there's a couple of interesting stuff that actually came out of the documentary that you could draw upon and then yeah. evolve further for the industry moving moving forward I mean, first of all, I think it's a good thing that regulation is looking at influencer marketing and how to regulate it because it means that it needs to be taken seriously and it's yeah. a growing market and it's growing big enough for them to actually saying it's worth looking at. So I'm um, not unhappy about it. I think regulation is important because 
yeah, you don't want to deceive consumers. Um, certain things should be labeled accordingly, you know, whether it has been an ad or not. Um, in terms of Netflix, yeah, it's, it's, um, it was crazy because they engaged with all those massive social celebrities, right? And based on the buzz they created on social, they predicted how popular this event would be. And obviously they sold out very quickly as well. So um, that was a, for them a metric to show like this event is hugely popular. Everyone wants to come. It's gonna be a success because we're selling all of those tickets. All we need mm. is a cash to kind of like put it together. Um, Obviously, they didn't manage to do that in the end, but um, that, that was their premise of investment, just giving that. You very carefully there chose the phrase social celebrity as opposed yes. to influencer. Yes. So I'm assuming that you see those as distinctly different and your platform is not, obviously it might be brilliant to have a Bella Hadid kind of a tie to your brand, but yeah. you know, there is, a, there is a significant difference there, right? Yeah, no, I think I think so, 100%. It's, a, it's very different if you engage a social celebrity. It's the same as engaging a, um, an actor or a singer or something like that rather than an influencer who is someone who not based on any other merit kind of like you know, singing or acting or something like that just amass a certain following um, on, on the basis of the content they produce so the images or the video mm. content that they push to their audience and how popular that is. Now when we were talking about regulation it kind of makes you wonder because some of the, the I think it was in the news yesterday there may be uh, a subpoena filed uh, against some of the social celebrities saying, hang on, you should pay back that money because you were advertising falsely. Uh, and you kind of touched on, skirted on something similar to that. It's an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because should they be held accountable for the failure of that brand? And is the damage to their reputation, I suppose, as a social celebrity enough to kind of dissuade people from just randomly endorsing stuff and accepting money? I mean, I think they already paid for um, for this little mishap, let's put it that way, um, by saying like, you know, people don't trust them as much anymore. They just kind of like see, okay, well, you advertise this festival and it, it was a complete flop, so I don't trust your choices in kind of like your advertising partners. Um, you can't really say that they are, that influencers should always be 100% responsible for the the brands or the products they partner with. Obviously, there should be some level of due diligence. They shouldn't advertise a, a Ponzi scheme or something like that. Mm. But you know, in the end of the day, most people that advertise for something don't really know that much about it. If you engage a model or um, uh, for, for a shoot for a product or a brand or something, no one is going to hold the model accountable for it. Now, look, the last point that I think might be quite interesting to, to kind of consider. Especially in the world of politics, there's been a lot of talk about fake accounts being created by states and, you know, how that's influenced or may have influenced elections. How does that fake follower and fake engagement, um, I suppose, challenge filter down to the world of influencers? Because it must be difficult for brands to, to, to know with absolute certainty that the people that they're engaging with to represent their brand are legitimate. Yeah. So it's actually, it's a massive issue. Like, um, we just did a survey of, of about 200 brands and they said, even though fake followers and fake engagement is a massive topic in the industry at the moment, they still say that measuring ROI is their biggest challenge. And right. I think um, just 
you know, circling back from that, I think looking at how many accounts and how many followers are actually real is the first step of guaranteeing that you get a good ROI, even if you can't measure it. But it, it's logical to say, like, okay, if I reach um, 100,000, or I think I reach 100,000 people and 50,000 of those are fake, that can't be good for my return on investment. Um, so I think it's the first thing they're trying to tackle to make sure that um, their advertising is effective. And it's it's always going to be an issue. So it's been an issue, you know, since the beginning. Um, there's different views on what what is a you know what is a legitimate following and what is not. Some mm. say um, if influencers engage in practices or bots that automatically follow people and then when they follow back, unfollow them to increase their followership, that would be cheating. But at the end of the day, a lot of the um, influencers at the very beginning, that's how they started. That's how they got their following. So a um, um, Chiara Ferrari would have done that by herself on her phone day out, day in, day out, just to increase her following. And that's how she got her following in the first place. Yes. It's not necessarily a bad thing because people get just drawn attention to your account if they like it they follow it um, because they enjoy your content right? so I don't think there's anything wrong with that but that for example is also often be viewed as a fraudulent tactic to increase your following and not organic um, obviously the biggest issue is still like you know blatantly purchased followers that are not real or purchased engagements or even Instagram pods which are more difficult to track because there's Facebook groups, there's Reddit groups, there's um, WhatsApp groups, Telegram mm. groups where people just post a picture and everyone in that group goes out, likes it and comments on it just to increase your engagement and that's often used to cover up that you have bought followers which don't engage with your content obviously because they're not real. Um, to um, cover that up with yeah. these kind of engagements. It is an issue, but I think over time there will be more and more metrics provided by the platforms themselves. Um, so, for example, Instagram um, now allows third parties via the API to access reach data, so how many people have actually unique impressions you've got on a post, which cannot be faked by a, you know, a fake follower. Um, there are more and more companies out there doing statistical analysis and we're doing some of that as well to identify fake followers um, and accounts that look suspicious. Um, but at the end of the day, what really the focus should be on is that whilst most people will have some sort of bots following them or they might even have fake followers, right? I can't blame someone who is like, you know, working really, really hard to get over a certain threshold to kind of like have a week and it's like, okay, I'm going to buy a thousand followers or sometimes they get gifted followers even from those third party outlets. There's mm. nothing they can do. They just wake up and have, you know, a thousand more followers in their account and an email saying like, hey, we just gifted you a thousand followers. Why don't you buy some more? And there's nothing they can do about it. Um, could even be a competitor, you know, like there's obviously a lot of competition in the market. It could be someone else who buys followers on your account just to ruin your reputation. Wow, well, yeah, I'm, yeah, consider it, it, that. It's, it's so easily done, right, that, that it's very, very difficult to um, differentiate between what's, you know, what's actually fraudulent and what just happens over time. And then, of course, yeah, a lot of brand accounts even um, have bots that follow and like on certain pictures of influencers or, mm. or the people to draw attention to their brand and that again would be counted as a, a bot comment that is very generic that is not real engagement there's nothing you can do about it. if you if mm. your account is public you the bigger you are the more you will draw attention to those kind of bots 
So I think where the industry should be going going forward is really tackling the issue of ROI and looking at the value of lymph based on the results they deliver yeah. rather than just looking at the following and how real it is. It becomes a bit of a witch hunt. Like everyone is looking at, oh, you have fake followers and, and these engagements aren't real or anything. If, even if an influencer has 30% fake followers and um, fake engagements, if they deliver very well like on the remaining followers or the authentic following they have and actually do influence them and generate returns and generate ROI for the brand, they shouldn't really care about how much is fake and how much is real. Well, look, it's a fascinating area and I really appreciate you giving some time to talk about Zine. <laughs> um, I suppose despite the fire festival backlash and people kind of saying, oh, influencer marketing is this evil thing. Yeah. That's a rather short-sighted view. It's the way the market's evolving, and right? We're sitting here in Shoreditch House. It's a beautiful day, and there's a there's a there's an influencer marketing event going on upstairs right now. So yeah. it only proves that it's kind of part of the well, it's part of the industry and here to stay. It's a new it's a new medium. It's a new medium that kind of like rivals you know traditional print or billboards or whatever you like, and um, I think it's here to stay for sure. It just came naturally with the way we um, we now consume media mm. versus maybe 10 years ago, and um, yeah, it needs to be exploited in a way. First things first, Jack. I bet you're proud of yourself getting appropriately relevant for, for where we are at this time of year, and the interview is just perfectly encapsulates that, that influencer thing that we're in at the moment. Well, it is one time we're fired, but I was going to say, I hate the, I've always said that I hate the word influencer, but we're influencers. Hey, yes. confirmed, as confirmed by an expert, Caroline said that if you've got between 1,000 and 1,500 followers, Go over to the Tech Talks Twitter. Did you notice that I double-checked what platforms? It's all yes, platforms, yes, so yes. Yeah, because our Instagram is poor. But find us on Twitter, we're great there. No, our Instagram, we've got... Sorry, Ryder, I didn't mean that. We've got 2,333 followers on Instagram. Have we? Yeah. Yeah, I can't remember. I remember we set up that um, phone farm in India, didn't we? To get us more users. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but look, I think there's some really interesting points here. Um, I love this difference between influencer and social celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. Because I've never thought about that that being a, a different kind of category. And it does make sense. Obviously, it makes sense for Caroline's business. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not the marketplace that she's operating in. Yeah. But it is different. Absolutely. If you're a brand and you're trying to build credibility, because we know credibility is absolutely key to brand, I can see how a micro-influencer mm -hmm. would actually be far more beneficial. Their reach might not be as big as Bella Hadid. But the people they reach is more appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I really liked that distinction, yeah. actually. No, it was great because I suppose for me, it's the if you're a massively successful influencer, you may become a social celebrity. Because I'm thinking of the news that we saw over the weekend about uh, the two Instagram marketing accounts, Fuck Jerry and The Fat Jew, who have both openly admitted over the weekend that they steal content put money, uh, advertise on that content and they take all the money, giving no credit or payment to the people they've stolen from, which is in a roundabout way kind of illegal. So I think there's that kind of thing there. Well, if you're an influencer... Is it, is it, is it fraud? Is it intellectual property theft? What is, is it? it? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly got something to do with Article 13, one would assume. Um, but anyway, I mean... We, anyone could be an influencer, I think, is the key thing there. You know, you get your niche, whether that's in, um, what was it, travel, fitness, food, lifestyle, fashion, and also bridal and decor. Yeah. No, look, it's an interesting point there. You bring up Article 13. When mm. We discussed it a couple of weeks ago yeah. when, when, when Yassi was on the show. Uh, we obviously said, well, 
that's terrible. It's going to make the internet boring. But it's a, it's a good example actually go. of regulation coming mm. in. And it does. Listening to Caroline, uh, the way it's described at the minute mm. almost feels a little bit Wild Westish. Yeah, and I think that's been fine for now until fire illuminated just how powerful this can be and how yep. badly it can go. I mean, don't get me wrong, the influencer campaign that they ran was perfect. You know, they got the people, they got the right reach and stuff like that, but everything else fell by the wayside. So I just think like it has been easy to mug people off of their content, but I'm glad we're getting to a stage now where people are sort of more liable for stealing. But then you know how I feel about Article 13, I hate it. I do feel that the reporting around fire and around influencer marketing up to this point has been quite lazy and that yeah. people have just gone, influencer marketing is bad. Yeah. Well, hang on a minute. Influencer marketing, as Caroline rightly said, it's just a new medium. Exactly. But it's actually quite traditional. We buy from people we trust, mm -hmm. right? We, like, we don't like to be sold to directly. Nope. We like to... Have people that, you know, if you, if you were to say to me, watch a TV program, Dave, yeah. versus Netflix telling me to watch it, I'm far more likely yeah. to listen to you. Yeah. If you trust someone and you follow them because you respect their opinion, what's wrong with buying from that individual? It's, it's just an extension of something that we've been doing for decades anyway. Exactly. I mean, don't tell me that when... Was it Sir Stanley Matthews used to advertise cigarettes that that wasn't totally tailored to the kind of people they wanted yeah. to smoke cigarettes? And look how badly that. Oh, went. the the, the Brill Green Boys of the fifties of football. Exactly. You yeah. Know, um, this is nothing less, new. Less harmful. It's nothing new. It's just on a platform where a lot of people find ver find it very foreign. Well, let's be honest. The internet as a whole. Mm. Is relatively unregulated, and we're trying to get regulation in place. Exactly, that stands yeah. the reason that yeah. marketing on that slightly unregulated place would need a bit of regulation. Hey, you know, um, and I think I think that actually, in the long term, stuff like fire mm. and fuck Jerry will help yes. normalise, mm. but also um, regulate and make sure that the influencer marketing is 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 brought into sharp focus in a way that helps it become something that is accepted and a bit more transparent. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's a good thing for me. Like, and I really like the point, I mean, just to, to, to move further on what Caroline was saying, and I've learned something today. If I wanna get less tailored adverts to myself, stop following the brands you like, stop following clothes lines you like or whatever. Like, so I follow Levi's and Adidas on Instagram. Beggars belief why I always get Levi's adverts come up on my computer. If I just followed my friends and family, it would be a lot less tailored and a lot less, I don't know, shocking maybe yeah. to people when they see that and they get creeped out by it. But this is, a, this is a new way of advertising that we're certainly on board with. Yeah. And I think it is the way it's gonna go in the future. You know, I'm on Instagram more than any other app which therefore means I'm probably on Instagram more than I'm watching telly. How about a new form of industrial uh, sabotage, rather? <coughs> I was going to say espionage, sabotage. Fake followers being bought to discredit rival brands. That I is something that. I hadn't heard of. You'd love it? No, I just love that. As a, <laughs> You're I love that go as out like, and, and fake follow some other podcast. Yeah, well, it's just like guerrilla warfare, <laughs> isn't it? You know, you get build them up and then like, oh, boom, we're behind enemy lines and they're all fake, really. Yeah, yeah no, I quite like it. It's creative. It's interesting, isn't it? It's kind of... It shows how powerful it is. If, Absolutely. If, if, if that is, is the length that some people are going to. And I think yeah. the message there to enterprise businesses and people working within technology is don't just try and buy influence. It stands to reason, but it, it is tempting when you're thrown free followers and, yeah. and influence because it's, 
you know, it's it's good that Caroline talks about actually ROI is what important is what yes. is important. But when you talk to platforms, they try and sell you stuff on impressions. Mm. And impressions, are they going to fit actually with the with the brand message that you want to put out to the market? I think that's got to be what people people have got to really keep that credibility piece at their, at their kind of the forefront of their mind when they're thinking about how they utilize social channels. Yeah to broadcast what message it is that they've got. But as Caroline said, you know, Instagram is doing improvements now that's allowing third parties to access their reach data, which is much more relevant than impressions and things like that, you know, that cannot be faked or duped by a bot follower or whatever, you know, which is which is good to see that Instagram, because Instagram could wash their hands with the whole affair. Like, you know, they are owned by Facebook, so that wouldn't surprise anybody. But yeah, no, I mean, really, really fantastic insight. And like I say, it couldn't have been at a more appropriate time. Well, look, that'll bring us to the end of the first part of the show. Stick with us. We'll be back in around 45 seconds. <laughs> Farewell, but not goodbye. Do you know what that is? Bobby Robson's autobiography. All the Better, read by Bobby Robson. No way. Yeah. What a legend of the game he was. Exactly. It's a great book to read, but listening to Bobby Robson, talking you through his life, that's special. Exactly. My choice is uh, The Sisters Brothers, which is a film starring Jake Gyllenhaal and John C. Riley that has been released worldwide apart from in the UK. So I'm going to listen to the audiobook. If anyone's wondering why we've suddenly started talking about books, it's because if you head over to audible.co.uk forward slash tech talks, you can get a free month's trial there, courtesy of your favourite technology podcast. Get listening. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Now, if you hadn't noticed, we are looking for the tech personality of the year. There is a landing page. We will share it via our social channels. So please give us a follow on Twitter at tech double underscore talks. Uh, you can also find Tech Talks on LinkedIn. You can find it on Instagram, HN Tech Talks. Have a look on those pages. We are looking for the tech personality of the year. We've already had several hundred votes, which is great. Really? We have, Jeez, wow. genuinely. Nice. Uh, but we've got six nominees uh, there that we've shortlisted from uh, around about 130 of the previous podcasts we've done over the last 18 months. Mm. Okay, We're looking for someone who, uh, for us, epitomizes tech for good, responsible tech, and is fixing real problems. And we'd love you, if you're listening to this show, to share a little bit of love. Exactly. These six nominees are truly amazing people that represent amazing brands. So, yeah, get voting. Yeah, voting will take seconds, okay? Mm. So check that out. Um, but anyway, yeah, Jack, what you got for us? Uh, so it's an article from newsok.com, which I believe is a branch of NBC News. A very short article. This undersea robot just delivered 100,000 baby corals to the Great Barrier Reef. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's literally two paragraphs. I'll read it. With oceans growing warmer and more acidic as a result of climate change, the world's coral reefs are under siege. Recent research shows that the number of coral bleaching events has risen drastically in recent years. And in 2016 and 17, about half the coral making up Australia's Great Barrier Reef died off. But... Two Australian universities have developed an underwater robot that could help turn the tide, good pun, to the ongoing struggle to save at-risk reefs. The briefcase-sized submersible, dubbed Larval Bot, is designed to move autonomously along damaged sections of the reef, seeding them with hundreds of thousands of microscopic baby corals. Wow. 
from a country that five to ten years ago didn't believe in climate change, or they did believe in climate change, but they had a government that didn't believe in climate change, they've got a massive hole in the ozone layer over the Barrier Reef. This is good. It might be, I don't think it's too late to save the Great Barrier Reef with this, but what is surprising is that it's taken this long to do it. But well, nonetheless... Australia, uh, let's face it, for the last half decade, decade, mm. the amount of stories that you see in the news about extreme weather. Not only have they had, what, temperatures hitting 49.5 in, in, in certain parts of Australia and towns. Yeah. Um, did you see about the flooding this week? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very Australia. I mean, look, it's not funny. No. Uh, large towns have been submerged. I feel as though there's a but. There was a but. There's this, <laughs> hang on. Bear is it an Aussie guy like snowboarding through the floods or something like that I mean Aussies are fantastic people no, no I, it, was, it wasn't that if you ever want to see a good specimen of a life in Australia follow Brown Cardigan on Instagram fantastic account that is an influencer account for Australia <laughs> I thought this was the most amazingly Australian bit of news I'd ever heard Go on. Andrew Roberts said he was more worried about being eaten by a crocodile in his Townsville home than chest high water surging through the ground floor it's a little bit scary because when it floods in Townsville hey. the crocs get into the water do you not remember the clip about the lowest Thing is, I can just imagine him saying that opening a forex. Yeah, of course, uh, Vegemite. <laughs> um, but do you know, remember that 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 um, local Australian mayor? They asked him about gay marriage. He was like, "Look, it's gay marriage. Of course, I'm for it. I don't really mind what they do. But there's crocodiles in our town that are <laughs> killing people. <laughs> it's just so Aussie, you know, just worrying about crocs more than anything. But, but yeah, hey, I mean, like most people, when their town gets flooded, can't worry about my possessions you know, because it's like. Shit, possessions, exactly, insurance, whatever else. And people are like, look, there's a problem because there's snakes and crocs. Like, Jesus Christ. But I suppose a lot of the spiders might get drowned. So, you know, every cloud. I don't know, do they drown? No, they can't. The toilets, actually, didn't they, Australians? Ah. Oh, God. That, that's one of the reasons why I've never been to Australia. I'm far too scared of spiders. But look, on, getting back to your point about coral reefs, yes. right? I think the problem with the sea is it is quite literally out of sight. It's 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 under the surface. Yeah. It's not in people's faces. When you have um, litter overthrowing, overspilling on the streets and so on, you can see it firsthand and you kind of go, oh, isn't that, doesn't that look yeah. awful? Yeah. Not everybody has the opportunity to go to tropical parts of the world. Mm. It is one of the most distressing things when you stand on a pristine tropical island and see rubbish and plastic mm. washing up on that shore. When you stand with someone looking at a reef that you think looks amazing and they say to you, it's such a shame 20 years ago the colours were so much more exciting and vibrant. Crazy. Like, it's going on and it's going on at a rapid rate and if we don't do something, it will, it, it's going to have disastrous consequences yeah. beyond just losing those amazing habitats. Tourism. It's not even tourism. It's the health of the planet as yeah. a whole. Yeah. The oceans are critical. If we knock out a keystone species that causes more extreme weather events, that causes drought, that causes the inability to grow crops, that causes more migration, that causes conflict, people don't think about all of those consequential knock-on effects. It's a cyclical knock-on effect, isn't it? You know, you just get worse and worse and worse. So thank goodness for larval bot. There we go. There we go. Slight change in acoustics. We've been kicked <laughs> out of our studio it just shows that we don't have a studio air, air, yeah. whatever these are air what quotes are air quotes yeah. studio yes no been kicked out of the room because there was an appraisal happening so sorry for the sudden change in sound apparently some young consultant's career is much more important than this podcast who would have thought eh? hey hey anyway uh here's another really um cheery topic 
for, for the end of the show. Good, because we've just spoke about how the, the Great Barrier Reef could be saved, so something really cheerful, cheerful to end on would be great, Dave. Uh, well, you know, or the fact that the Great Barrier Reef is being systematically wiped out. Yeah, but anyway. we ended on a good point. Okay. Anxiety on the rise oh, amongst the youth in the social media age, or, or the young in the social media age. A YouGov survey shows that 18% of young people in the UK do not think life is worth living. Thanks, baby boomers. Wow. Like, I'm not making joke about this. I, it's not funny. No. It is, it is truly, truly distressing, okay? But you just got to kind of wonder what the hell is going on. Is it just a nasty cycle whereby people think that stuff like social media is going to make them feel better and more empowered about themselves, but then they overshoot expectations and then end up feeling actually more insecure? You know, I didn't get 15 likes on this photo. Well, is... So this is a Guardian article. It's by um, Robert Booth, who's their social affairs correspondent. Um, and there's this. he talks about a sense of overwhelming pressure from social media, which is driving feelings of inadequacy. Oh, so that's quite close then. Yeah, well done, Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe you should write for The Guardian. Ha! <laughs> Going back to my 16-year-old self's dream, you mean? <laughs> so, in 2009, only 9% of 16 to 25-year-olds disagreed with the statement that life is really worth living. Okay. Now that's risen to 18%. It's doubled. So it's doubled in less than a decade. That's worrying. I mean, look, I think... I think a lot of people suffer from anxiety. I do now and then. I've got friends that have, you know, suffer from it really badly, you know, to the point where one of my friends who I won't name check now, but, you know, he was off signed off work for three weeks over Christmas, before Christmas because mm. his anxiety was that bad. Now, I know his anxiety is not from the, you know, trying to fall in line with social norms, you know, and social media and stuff, but I, this is going to have an effect. Absolutely. And the reason why I wanted to, to talk about this, it's not just about social media. I'm not kind of like no, scaremongering yeah, about social yeah, media. Yeah. There was a line in here that really got me thinking. More than a quarter also disagree that their life has a sense of purpose. This is 19, sorry, 16 to 25 year olds. Are okay? millennials? No, they're Gen Zs, aren't they? 16 to 25s. If I'm a millennial, these aren't millennials. Oh, wait, am I at the young end of the spectrum for millennials? You're then? a young millennial. Right, okay. These are Gen Z. Right. Um, but we often talk about the fact that people coming into the workforce now look for a sense of purpose. Yep. And we talk a lot in the podcast about how purpose is such a strong motivator yep. Yep. for people in their work life, sorry, in their, in their work, yep. in their professional careers. Perhaps this is a reason with the, with the pressures of social media mm. and feeling inadequate, mm. they haven't got that purpose from areas that, yeah. that traditionally we would have looked for them. I, I think it's fair to say that my parents' generation might have found purpose in home life. And yeah. maybe, maybe then in that situation, a job for life or a career that allow, facilitates that yeah, I was mean, more important. Whereas now, if they're lacking that and they're struggling to get on the, on the economic ladder and it feels yeah. daunting and social media is pressurizing. I, just, I, I found this interesting because I thought it kind of began to kind of picture together this piece around purpose and in the workplace. And I think you're right. I mean, I know, I know we always hammer down about purpose, but me, you and I are very purpose-driven, you know. Um, I don't think everyone is, and I don't think everyone should be either. But, you know, life today, as opposed to 50 years ago, there's many more facets. Mm. You're judged around every single corner on everything you do. You know, I'm not trying to condescend or naysay our previous generations, but it used to be the model of life fall in love, get married, buy a house, have a family, oh. die, right? And now we've got all these wonderful opportunities to do. This generation from the sort of 80s onwards is one of the first generations that can afford to travel by and large. It can, it can engage with people in another country for free. Yeah. So we've got much more 
scope and room and more vehicles to get stressed out about, to feel more anxious about. But, and I think, I think as, as we've got older as a generation and we've started to realize that depression is a disease, it's not just people feeling mm. upset, then now we're starting to realize that there are problems out there. There are, there's a lot more mental health awareness now, and that's a good thing. Now that in turn has a negative effect on stats because as a society we're much more open to anxiety and depression now so we're going to collate it more we're yeah. going to see more people admitting to it and and doing it so whilst the stats offer good insight i also think now it's more socially acceptable to wear your anxiety badge more people will come forward and as such yeah, yeah. maybe maybe there's not actually a rise in more people that are anxious or whatever but actually a rise in more people that are comfortable to say they are i also think it's incredibly lazy of an older generation mm. to look at kids in Gen Z and say, oh, it's social media and brush it off <laughs> and whatever else um, and, and tell them that they're snowflakes, right? Yeah. One of my favourite comedies growing up as a kid was Keeping Up Appearances. Okay. Why do Keeping Up Appearances work? Because it's a common... You could relate to it. The best comedies yeah. poke fun at yourself. You can see yourself reflected yeah. in that character. We yeah. all knew a Hyacinth Bucket. Sure. We all are familiar with the phrase of Keeping Up With The Joneses. Yeah. And this research said that social media creates an overwhelming pressure to succeed. 57% agreed with that statement. Absolutely. Now, in Keeping Up Appearances, you've only got to worry about what's going on in your little town. And to be perfectly frank, if you only know like 50 people in Basingstoke, Whatever. Yeah. But if you're bombarded with pictures of fitness models, of, of people going traveling all over the world, of billionaires, of cars, of products, people didn't have that kind of no. exposure 20 years ago. It's not that this generation are mentally weaker. They are getting bombarded with so much more than we've ever been used to. And I can imagine that that is horribly overwhelming. To come full circle, maybe influencers enable negatively this anxiety. We see people that similar to us that uh you know how often do we talk about insta life as well as a yeah. false portrayal of what we're doing but i'm feeling down in the dumps and i go on instagram and i see someone who's a similar age to me in bali saving the world or whatever and i'm sitting here recording a podcast where's my purpose i love the podcast that's my purpose <laughs> uh, yeah don't worry don't worry i'm not going anywhere I'm not going sorry <laughs> no no but you see what i mean right so there is um, yeah but I, I don't know it's just it's just a funny one like there is no right or wrong answer here. And I think the more the more we grow up as a generation and the more Gen Zs grow up as a generation, the more comfortable in our own skin we feel, we will progress. But with social with with influences and things like that, where we can see ourselves in other people who are doing really well, that's gonna have a knock on effect. But like you say, it's easy just to say social media is the problem. It's not. But social celebs should probably have a little bit more of an understanding about, you know, if they're cavorting around on a yacht with Exactly. Some saggy man boobed rapper, then that probably doesn't have a good effect on whichever kid's looking at it in Carlisle. I love that you call Ja Rule a saggy boobed rapper. Well, he is. He is, yeah. No, he is. Definitely, very much so. On so. that note. Yeah. Saggy boobs. <laughs>